This is Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob. Hello. And we are blessed to have a special guest in the studio today. And uh, we're excited. We're going to be talking about coming back to episode 41 about resiliency. Yes. In kind of the conversation with episode 42 with the ABCs of parenting. So we're talking about resiliency kids and things like that. But um, we are fortunate because we have a platinum member in the (laughs) studio today. And well, memberships, you know, like the silver, gold, right? But we have a platinum member, a fan that I think has listened to most of our episodes. All of them. All of them. All of them. So <laughs> our condolences. Right now, she has a she has a collector edition shirt that's part of the platinum <laughs> program that she gets along with a hoodie and like a little water bottle. We actually flew her in for today's episode. Well, actually, she drove in with her own car, but we'll give her a gas card or something like that. <laughs> it's a long drive. Long drive. Brenda Mitchell. Yes. Very nice to have you here with us today. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome. Very nice to be here. The context of having Brenda join us is that in our episode 41, talking about resiliency, um, she gave some really good feedback to us that inspired us to have her join us to continue our conversation about resiliency. Exactly. Yeah, it was her feedback that facilitated this conversation. Yeah, and you know what I noticed in the email? Um, I got I got sent the copy of email. I don't feel bad because you left me out, but um, <laughs> but that's, that's sarcasm. I told her before I the, before I, I hit addressed it to both of you, didn't I? You did actually. Yes. I'm reading. Yes. You're, you're correct. Right. It says, "Hi, Matt and Rob." Listen, you, do I, I have to keep correcting you? Yes. <laughs> Come on. I'm very resilient. I can bounce back. <laughs> okay. And um, she's going to dish it out. I like that. <laughs> I know it. I like that. That's important. Um, but in this, uh, I had made a comment about kids being resilient. Like I, in the beginning of the episode, I just said, hey, when I think of resiliency, I think of kids. They're just so darn resilient, I think is what I said. Yeah. And um, you're also a very good writer. Your email is like really well written. I really admire that. Yeah. I'm well, not... I have a tip. Yes. When there's any email or message that has emotion, I write it and then sit on it till the next day. Ah, uh, that's a wise you thing. You don't send it right away. Yeah. Because you got to wait and see if you really mean that <laughs> the next day. <laughs> but in this, you respectfully offered your thoughts to the conversation that we had. That's exactly, yeah. She it, did exactly what we would hope others would do. And we, and we heeded the council and decided to bring you here today for us to continue this conversation, but a little commercial break. Um, it's almost April and we have the resilient conference, um, April 27 and 28 or 28th and 29th, whatever 28th and 29th. Thank you. Um, it's the Friday and Saturday. Yes. Um, it's going to be a, a Grace Spring Bible Church. Yep. We, we, the Response Care Center, are hosting it. You can find the website at resilientconference.org, and there you can read about the conference. You can see the speakers. We have a great lineup of speakers. We have Dr. Brooks Gibbs as our keynote speaker. Yes. 
for both Friday night and Saturday morning with Q&A. Uh, but we have a, on Saturday, we have a great breakout selection of different topics. You can see all that at the website. You can register. Um, we do provide Chick-fil-A lunch yeah. for Saturday and some other goodies. So if you haven't looked that up, please go to resilientconference.org and you can sign up and be part of our conference. But and don't wait till the last minute to register. No, don't do that. Please. Prices go up. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but the, the concept of resiliency is the theme that we've been talking about over time. And I just want to put out there as we, before we started recording, um, talking about the school shooting in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. And um, somewhere in the neighborhood of about 133 mass shootings thus far this year, it's unthinkable and it just keeps happening. And it really struck my heart for some reason, but I wanted that to be part of our conversation today. Um, but Brenda's going to be helping us understand her perspective about kids and resiliency. Yeah. Could you um, maybe share a little bit about yourself and then share a little bit about resiliency and kids and kind of what, when you listen to our podcast, what motivated the, the thought that you shared with us? Sure. So my husband is a pastor at Grace Spring with Rob. So, um, yeah, that's where we've been there since July. So what, what, how many months is that? Eight, something like that. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I do a lot of different things. But one of the things that I've been spending a lot of time on for the last several years is um, working with a ministry who helps survivors of some of the most extreme forms of abuse that exist. Mm. And so people who um, had childhoods that are unthinkable mm-hmm. and are now adults, um, really most of them are dissociative, so they have multiple parts. And um, they don't like to use alt- alters. They don't like to use that word. They have a lot of different um, verbiage that they avoid that are, are common words that we use because survivors of these these types of programming and um, torture, they, they're real sensitive to, to mm-hmm. certain things. So, so they end up with these adults with multiple parts who are, the, the walls between their parts are now breaking down and they're starting to realize that they're multiples. Mm-hmm. And so they, um, they help these people and, and it all goes back to um, what happened to them as children, of course, and all um, the pain from that, but also the things that were not processed from that. And um, yeah, so talking about resiliency is a really huge part of of talking to adults who were um, abused throughout their childhoods. Um, because when I was listening to you guys um, talk on the podcast and you, you made the comment, and it was just a small thing um, where you said kids are so resilient and, you mm-hmm. know, thank, thank God that, for, that our kids have been resilient. Um, but I had just um, read an article that said, Stop saying kids are resilient. Yeah. And so I thought, well, I think I think I'll just interact with you guys on this because I know you wouldn't mind and maybe you'd welcome a little bit of feedback on it. And and like you said, to just expand the conversation because you're not wrong that when we have secure attachment, when our kids are securely attached to us, when when we've had problems in the relationship that we've taken the time to repair then, so rupture repair, rupture repair, um, kids do develop resiliency um, when they're loved, yeah. right? But there's lots and lots of people in the world who did not have that kind of childhood. And so that's what I was immediately thinking is kids that aren't, um, 
haven't developed resiliency don't bounce back from those from little things. They it just keeps compounding trauma upon trauma in their lives, and they end up as adults who who aren't even thinking like other people. And mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of people like that. I think a lot of people we meet, I, I pretty much nowadays, if I meet anybody who's behaving badly, I assume something happened. You know, there's there's some That's reason. Wise. Yeah. It is wise. Yeah. There's some reason that they're not behaving in an expected way or in a way that fosters relationship. Because, you know, you know as well as I do, everybody needs attachment with other people. So when people are arms lengthening you and, you know, refusing attachment, refusing connection, something happened. It's not my fault. <laughs> it's it's being trauma informed. Yes. Yeah. yeah, just having that disposition where you realize the behavior you're experiencing, there's something behind the curtain. Exactly. That maybe you don't know about. Exactly. But we oftentimes we do read a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. But you're wise because you're saying, "Hey, there might be something behind this." Yeah, and it's true of me too. And I I had a a childhood, I would, I, I know now to say that my dad was verbally and emotionally abusive, um, not an extreme form, but a, a form that I had fear. I have, I have elements from the past that come mm-hmm. into the present and cause my body to uh, react in ways I don't like. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I do it too. Yeah. So surely people who've undergone more than I have or who have not dealt with what they've gone through, it's going to, it's going to show in the way they behave. Yeah. So yeah. it's a, it's an important concept the past affects the present which has implications for the future mm-hmm. and to your point the reality is while children and people can be resilient it's not a foregone conclusion that because you've suffered some type of horrific or traumatic upbringing that resiliency is just going to be it's just kids start that way, right? Yeah. Kids start that way. So what that what ends up happening, right, is that um, we excuse bad behavior from parents or other adults because oh they'll just get over it, they'll just bounce back. And yeah. so I think that was the reason I thought you know what I'm going to say something about this just so that maybe when we do this conference at the church, you you know, and we're defining the word resilient, um, let's let's have this be in the mix. <laughs> yeah. Well, we appreciate that. I think you're right. There would be a tendency for some adults to to exploit the concept that kids are resilient. So therefore, I don't have to be careful or intentional about what I say or how I engage. And that's that's not what we were trying to communicate. Definitely, you have to pay attention because resiliency is not a foregone conclusion. Right. I think what culture may think is that resiliency is something that a child is born with and that they just bounce back. So the whatever happens in the family unit, the parent or the older person just dismisses it, um, get over it, whatever. And so the child is left to bounce back. If they bounce back, they just have to deal with it. But in the article by Allison Vila, the idea is that resiliency doesn't happen by accident. In fact, it is something that is learned and nurtured through secure attachment. So it is something we, we have to be resilient. We advance through adversity, right? That's yeah. the idea that we have for the conference. Um, when, 
I think of children, they don't know how to do that. They have to be nurtured to do that. And that's only going to be a byproduct of secure attachment, to Brenda's point. Because really, one of the ways that children build resiliency is by allowing them to experience disappointment. And when they experience disappointment in the backdrop of a secure attachment, they learn that those um, that sadness or those difficult emotions don't last forever. Right. Yeah, dismissiveness, I think, is something that is more common where something happens to a child and the adult in the room dismisses it. Yeah, dismisses it or minimizes and, it. And the child doesn't know how to use their voice or to represent themselves. So it gets dismissed and it gets put away somewhere to your opening point. The things that happen to me just get dismissed. Mm-hmm. Not understanding that in the future, it will most likely manifest in my life. Well, the dismiss- the dismissal, the dismissal, would result in not validating emotion. And so then you learn to stuff emotions. And emotion cannot be destroyed. Mm-hmm. It's like energy. So yeah, I think you're, it's a good point that you're making. It's like when an adult does not have um, the bandwidth to facilitate a secure attachment, there's all kinds of unintended consequences for the child. So let's park for a moment on the conversation about attachment style. Okay. Could you maybe, Dr. Rob, speak to the, the idea of attachment? Yeah, the attachment, there are four, the research would suggest there are four um, attachment styles. And they go by different names, but they're a version of anxious, fearful, avoidant, and secure. And when humans have trouble attaching, and usually that attachment style is in the, 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 the literature would also say it's that attachment style is developed in the first 12 months of life. And so when there's, when there's anything but a secure attachment, that doesn't provide a foundation for the child to deal with the difficulties of life. And it's in that inability to deal with difficulties that create problems for resiliency. In other words, like we've been saying since the beginning of the podcast, if you don't have a secure attachment, you don't have a foundation for resiliency. And that was Brenda's point to us. You can't assume that children are just resilient. Exactly. Well said. And remember that the idea of attachment isn't taught to parents or children growing up. No, the brain, the brain has two primary responsibilities. We talk about it all the time. It's to protect and to connect. So there's some of it that God hardwired uh, into the human DNA, if you will, to connect. But we really do today, if we're going to facilitate resiliency in children and adults, we need to take it and make it intentional. I have to be intentional about the way I connect with my children, my friends, my family. Um, And it's that intentionality that they learn 
through modeling, through communication, through any of the avenues that people learn from that provides the security for me to deal with the difficulties of life emotionally yeah. and and mentally. So let's make it simple. Um, I enjoy hanging out with you guys. That is easy. That's so nice of you to say. That's it. Well, it's it's true, and it's right. a lot of times, and it's easy. How is that related to my attachment style? The fact that we can attach. Yeah. The, the, it was Brenda's earlier point about repair, right? When there's a violation and attachment, we can repair. As adults, we can do it. It's it, it's up to the adults in the child's life to help them do it. And so when attachment is secure, there's no threat. We enjoy each other's company. We can hang out. We can we can even survive when things get a little sideways when in the relationship. But because the attachment is a secure attachment, things don't get radically sideways to, to Brenda's earlier point where her group is dealing with severe severe violation so, yeah, so you might have somebody with anxious or avoidant just keep it simple yeah like okay i'm willing to come in for the podcast but i'm super nervous right i'm closed off i'm closed mm, yeah. off like i want to do this but there's something on the inside of me that keeps me from feeling comfortable or safe or secure in the the group would that be, yeah, I mean, it's super simple. Yeah. Versus avoidant would be the invitation to come to the podcast. Uh, no, thanks. I'm, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it on the inside. They're like, there's no way I'm going to that podcast. <laughs> right. right. I want to avoid connection. Right. Yeah. I'm independent and self-sufficient. I don't need this podcast. Yeah. So, so now let's bring the concept of attachment back to our conversation with kids if it's not taught in childhood and we think about the, the Nashville shooting and I'm watching all of those kids kind of hand in hand getting from the school to the school bus to get to a neutral location for parents to reunify with them. What are they going through? What, what, what Brenda, when you think of the scene, what are you imagining those kids and those families are going through? Well, one of the things I was going to add to what you were saying is that we break this down to where a person's pain, emotional pain, comes from one of three places almost always. It would be shame or powerlessness or lack of attachment, right? So, yeah. So this is how big attachment is, is, a, you know, it's one of the three <laughs> causes yeah. of emotional pain. So here you have these kids who um, would also be feeling powerlessness very strongly because there was nothing they could do. Yeah. Um, so huge pain and, and dysregulation. Their brains are not in their thinking brain. They're offline just in their limbic brain, you know, feeling what they feel. And it's probably memories being stored without words. Yeah. So they're, they're going to this experience. And then, and then when they go be with their parents, then their ability to be resilient after this event, I think is going to largely depend on what, on what kind of comfort they're getting from their parents. Right. Are they are they able to take this distressing thing and be calmed and soothed? And, you know, parents give the regulation for the kids that don't have it, right? You can even being with them, sitting beside them. Yeah, the school was preschool through sixth grade. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So you have a, a large range of development mm-hmm. in the children that were at the school and the families. Um, so the child goes through the 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 trauma of the the incident. Yep. Have to live through the sirens because now the sirens. If you watched, you know, you could hear the sirens going off in the building. They're locked down. Um, they eventually get the permission to come out. A seed of PTSD is planted right there. Right? (laughs) Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can source the fragmented, maladapted information stored with events like this can definitely become the source of triggers in the future. Um, But they reunify with the family. What does it look like, Dr. Rob, for the family to provide that attachment that that child needs to recover to be resilient, to bounce back from an event like this? Well, it's interesting. Brenda referenced it. It's going to be not just what the family they go back into. It's going to be how the family manages or mismanages stress, life stressors prior to this. Mm -hmm. Because the families are not, they're not going to just magically change. So whatever the coping mechanisms are and the patterns were of attachment prior to the shooting, those children will be going into that. And so if the adults don't have the bandwidth to address this issue, the child is now at great risk for not being resilient. Especially because their parents are freaked out. Too. That's exactly right. Which is valid. Yes. Okay. <laughs> This yeah, is, this is yeah. This is a crisis. I want to I want to validate the reality of what parents must have been going through. Oh, it's horrific fear. Waiting to be hopefully yep. reunited with their children and then you said it earlier, getting disconnected from the frontal cortex, mm-hmm. the executive function, the ability to think and reason. I go limbic, I go low brain, mm-hmm. and it's all about survival. That's exactly right. It and when you're in survival mode, you don't have the um, different people call it different things. I think of it in terms of learning brain versus trauma brain or stress brain. The, the concept that we've talked about of window of tolerance is a person's ability to stay in executive functioning, thinking and managing difficult emotions at the same time and not getting too high or too low with that right? That Mm -hmm. window of tolerance. So with the families, if these children are going into unhealthy, dysfunctional families, this trauma is only going to add to that and exacerbate it. And, and then, and then you have children that are, their abstract reasoning, like they were nine that the three children that were killed were nine years old. Their abstract reasoning is just coming online. Right. And so adults that are working with children in response to like this, they're going to help alleviate fears and they're going to help frame this trauma as as what it is. And it's they're going to create space for those kids to to become resilient. The attachment, the secure attachment will create space. They'll validate the emotions. They'll reassure the kids. They'll be talking about it as the kid brings it up. Um, like, not, like not afraid of it. Not, mm-hmm. not yeah, ignoring it. Not ignoring it. it 
And they will acknowledge the real fears that are a part of a shooting like this. Mm-hmm. But in, in trauma, there's uh, concentric circles. So there's the people at the center of the trauma. There's the families that move outside of that. Then there's people, grandparents who will be affected. And then eventually you get out to the community where those of us who don't have a personal contact or connection to that shooting, we're going to be affected because we don't, this is not easy to make sense of, right? Six people are dead and three of them are children. And so as you get out to Brenda's earlier point, the family, the community all have a responsibility in facilitating resiliency. So what I'm understanding then is even though the adults are also flooded because it was so traumatic, they have to be resilient for their kids to be able to experience safety in their presence while the debriefing happens. I know that's a technical term and the parents aren't saying, okay, we're debriefing now, (laughs) but they're somehow living through the days that follow And the child would then need to feel some sense of safety in the presence of their caregiver. Exactly. So they can talk about it. They can. In order to bounce back. Yes. The more times a person has experienced where something went wrong and then it was okay later, the the more resilient they're going to be. Yeah. If they never experience things that go badly. Okay. um, Say that again. (laughs) That was really rich. The more times that a person has the experience where something really was bad and then it turned out or things you worked through it, at least it became to where life is okay again. Yeah. Um, It's different. Um, If sometimes some people, it it never becomes okay again because of abuse or whatever it may be. Um, Other people like, okay, just an example. My, my husband's siblings never argued with each other. They never had conflict among them. I don't know what happened. It's none of them fought but there it's not the closest relationships nowadays um my siblings we were at each other all the time and we repaired and fought and repaired and you know we're, we're super close and we've, we've worked hard to um have a safe relationship where we know um that we we have each other because we've proven oh, yeah. it right yeah. so um i think that experiencing adversity and then overcoming it is just a huge piece of it. So some of these children will have had that before. Some of them won't. Some of the parents will have. Some of them will still be in trauma. It's, it's going to be a huge variety. And it's predicated on attachment, to Brenda's mm-hmm. earlier point. That's what I was saying. When you let kids experience disappointment, you learn that these hard, sad, grieving feelings don't last forever. There is a and we don't talk much about it, but it's in that disappointment and that pain that can actually facilitate a healthier, more robust connection. Mm-hmm. Her, her husband's family didn't do that. So now she implied there's distance between them. Her family, they fought, they, they worked through, they, they, they solved problems as they came up through that whole process of giving and receiving and fighting through or arguing about, they've learned that they can trust each other through that. Guess what? Okay, There's look, a connection. Do you guys see that 
that scar right there. I do. <laughs> Sibling did that, huh? That was my sister, Alicia. She'll never <laughs> listen to this podcast. But that, what, that's like seven inches? Yeah. That was in the back of my dad's Buick. Yeah. And, and I was the I was the last of five kids, so I had older sisters, and I was a pest. That was a good scar. And she got, that is a good she got sick of me, and she dug her fingers into my arm. I don't know where she was going, but she got me. And like I have a I have a tattoo now, <laughs> a reminder. <laughs> but to your point, we're close today. Mm. Yeah, we're we're close. We fought it out. Of course, we don't want to try to have things with people just to get closer later. But I, I remember one time with my when my boys were little, I blew up at them. They had spilled something or created a mess, and I you know you know when anger is at your own because of your own inconvenience, you know that's not yeah. good anger. Well, that was that kind of day. And I blew up at him, and they're crying, and I'm feeling good about him crying and being ashamed and all that. And all of a sudden, I realized, this is lousy. This is not how I should be behaving. So I started crying and got on the floor with him and apologized. And we just sat there in a big puddle, the three of us. I'm just uh-huh. like, I'm just really sorry. I should not have behaved that way. Um, it was just an accident and whatever. And I, I realized in that moment, I think this is better that this happened than if I'd never behaved so badly. Because they need to see their mom apologize, too. They need to see what happens if I say I'm wrong. And, um, yeah, I think that has proven true. Um, well, it's a function of attachment. Mm-hmm. You're protecting and prioritizing. People don't understand. This is not about perfection. It's not about perfection as a parent. It's not about always getting it right within the context of relationships. I cannot control everything that happens to me. I can control my response. And when children see that modeled and they have the, they have the security, I was thinking about the attachment. Um, you talked about how profound it was. You know, I think about it as you can't walk when the earth is moving, like in an earthquake. And those three unhealthy attachment styles, you can't build a foundation on them. It doesn't exist. There's there's no stability to do that. When the attachment is secure for children and adults, then what Brenda just illustrated, it teaches it it taught her kids. One, she's safe because she can admit that she's wrong. Two, it's not about perfection. It is about love and grace, which she gave. And then she got down, she took responsibility for. Those are ways that you build <laughs> resiliency. I'm taking responsibility for my mistake. I'm also repairing it. This is true in groups of adults, too. Yep. I'm afraid within the church, we so often run from relationship because we can just drive to a different church or we can go to a different small group or whatever. And when, when we have conflict among each other, if we would stay and stick it out and work through that, we can be so much closer afterwards. I've seen it happen again and again. I have a group uh, back home where I came from that... um. A couple times I said to individuals, you're not allowed to leave mad. <laughs> you can leave because you move away. You can leave for different yeah. reasons. But you can't leave the group because you're upset. We have to work it out. Yeah. We have to have the conversations. And yeah. we got closer because of it. So. But frequently within the church, we lack the maturity to do what you just articulated. And so it's not safe to try and repair because of the lack of safety among leaders or other people in the church. You're right. And I hate it. Yeah. I hate that you're right about that. Yeah. Yeah. If you care, (laughs) if you care about people, this is not something you want to be right about, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, 
you know, to your point, Matt, with trying to talk about resiliency in, in relationship to the shooting, there are so many moving parts in our culture. We can't even have a mindful conversation about it. So it's, it, it's not, it doesn't bode well for the future. Mm-hmm. These are, these are going to continue to happen. That's why we're having this conversation is with 133 mass shootings this year to date, it's what, March 29th, 30th? 30th. The 30th. So we have January, February, March. We have 90 days into the year. Yeah. And there's far more shootings than there are days. Yeah. It's accelerating. Or and, that's what it appears to be. And what we're doing is having a conversation that we can be proactive and we can understand the mechanics behind how to deal with adversity. I think we are the ostrich that likes to put its head in the sand and pretend like it's not there. And we live our life hoping, my wife always says, hope is not a strategy, <laughs> living in such a way that we hope that the future will be better than the past, but we don't realize it's a ball and chain metaphor. I'm dragging the past with me. The things that are not reconciled yep. are just being dragged with me into my future. And here I'm looking for the future to be brighter. And then the shadow of my past shows up. We always say what the mind forgets, the body remembers in trauma. Sure. Right? Well, yeah. The, the past isn't past. It's present in the form of unreconciliation of the things that you've been through. The traumatologist, the past is the present. You have to, you cannot anesthetize what we're talking about. You're not responsible for what happens to you in childhood. You are responsible for how you manage it or mismanage it as an adult. But what we're talking about is the fact that um, unless you deal with these, these poor attachment styles, you're not going to have a foundation to connect with other people You won't have the maturity to do that. And you will not, to Brenda's point, which started this whole conversation moving in this direction, you will not facilitate or grow resiliency. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about the good news, too. Because if it were just that kids are are born resilient and therefore, whatever, they'll get over it, right? It's not that way. It can be developed and nurtured and learned. And that means that for adults, like... We can learn it too, right? Yep. It's not just like we lost our chance because we weren't resilient when we were kids. It, we can keep building it, which is why we're having a conference about it and why you guys are doing this podcast, trying to yep. train people to, to think in these ways, right? And it's called the plasticity. And we, yep. we use the term neuroplasticity, which means your brain is yeah. pliable, Yep, that you can learn new things. The old adage, old dogs can't learn new tricks. It's not true. Not true. No. Um, I come from a background. My bachelor's degree is in exercise science or kinesiology. And I'll never forget a study that I read that they took 90-year-old men and 25-year-old men, and they they took a biopsy of their bicep muscle. And they had them both perform the same regimen of weight by percentage of their body weight. And they did bicep curls over the course of, let's say, eight weeks. And then they took a biopsy after the training protocol and found that both subjects, the 25-year-old and the 90-year-old, had muscle hypertrophy or muscle growth. Mm -hmm. 
So the reality, to your point, Brenda, is as we age, we have the ability to change. We do. And that's so happy. And that is good (laughs) news. Use adversity to be a teacher Mm -hmm. about how you can grow more mature as a person. That's exactly the hope. You, You can learn and grow. I don't like... You can't teach old dogs new tricks, to your point. Is that because you're old? Well, that, yeah, that is true, too. That was a horrible projection. (laughs) You are older than me. Yes. If you listen to my student that I work with at school, I'm, I think, 4,886 years old. That's all? That's all. And so, um, but to to your point, it's like we can learn and we must own that responsibility to learn whatever stage of life we're living through currently. I can, I can develop the humility and the desire to keep learning. That's the concept of lifelong learning. When you apply that to resiliency and adversity, yeah, me learning through this current adversity only equips to your metaphor, the building of the muscle for the next thing that comes down the road. Yeah. And that is hopeful. And in practical terms, I would say the, the, a way to do that, if people have no idea, where do I even start learning and growing and trying to become different? Well, when you learn the words to put to what happened to you, when you learn the words and the phrases and even the, the stuff we're throwing around, attachment and powerlessness and shame and those kinds of things, when you learn those things and what to, how to call them what they are, yep. you can process those emotions from the past and release, you know, reduce your window of tolerance so that you have more space in there for emotion. So, that you know, learning actual facts can help you deal with your emotions. So it's just a starting place. Well, you're talking about, um, providing words to your experience, yes. giving children don't have that, right. but as adults, it can be developed. And as adults, we can help children. Exactly. We can give them that vocabulary. That's what those parents need to be doing right now. Yeah. Is the parents of the, the kids in the school. Yeah, yeah. I, I would say the Response Care Center is in partnership with the Gold Lakes Community School System. And others, yeah. And others, but it's this partnership. That's why the the conference is, you know, we can we can... We can advance through adversity together. The idea is we can do more together. So that community in Nashville and all the communities that are experiencing, we we experienced Michigan State active shooter. Well, and the one on the east side. I mean, mean, there's been two just in Michigan reasonably close together. Yeah. And so when we think about these, if we come together and have a right mindset, to learn through the adversity, we can establish a resiliency that keeps us in the game. We don't want the adversity to cause us to lose ability to stay in the game, right? Right. That, that's a lose-lose situation. Yeah. The adversity causes a loss, and then I don't rebound right. well, and that's another loss. Yeah. We can't let our cohort lose. We need to support one another in the event of a crisis and support. And those crises can be small or they can be very, very big. And in order to do that, we need to keep our ability to think through things online. 
yeah, and not make it all about politics or other things. It, it's got to have an intentional, mindful approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk um, closing thoughts as we come to the conclusion of this episode on resiliency in children. And I think I'd like to come back in a future episode, maybe next time, and go, let's dig deeper in the four attachment styles. Okay. You're responsible for that, Dr. Rob. <laughs> Plan it out. <laughs> um, Brenda, tell us any thoughts that you want to share with our audience um, as we conclude today's conversation. Anything that you want to share? Oh, I think we've done a good job of saying resilience can be nurtured. Um, lots of kids are resilient. Lots of them aren't. Um, yeah, and, uh, and even adults can become more resilient. So if you want to learn how, come to the conference. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for being with us today. We really appreciate your contribution to this topic of conversation. Thank you for your uh, contribution of uh, expanding the conversation. Absolutely. Turning our direction. In a... yep. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode of Mindful Conversations with Matt and Rob and Brenda. We hope that you have a great day, morning, night, wherever that may lead you. Blessings. Blessings.